0: have you guys back here this morning. Um, we're continuing our series, More Than Many Sparrows. Um, and I, I wanted to read you, I know I, I shared with you guys last week, but I wanted to read with you, because um, I was sharing about this, this world and man, how it tends to just knock us down. And none of us are born to, to hate ourselves or to, to hate our circumstances where we, we don't even feel like going on, but this world has a way of doing that to us. I want to read you this comment posted on the internet um and it was on uh cyber psych and it says posted by and his name is garbage he says when i look at myself in the mirror i want to throw up i hate the way i look i hate my personality i hate who i am i'm not blaming anyone i only blame myself but i'm afraid that god will punish me for thinking this way so i hide it from everyone but it's true i really hate myself i'm so pathetically ugly i don't know how anyone can look at me I avoid mirrors whenever I can. If anyone looks at me, my face turns red from embarrassment. I can't look anyone in the eyes. I'm miserable and alone because I know nobody can ever love me. I am unlovable. I am nothing. I am worthless. I am garbage. Crazy to see somebody take, and and when they write about themselves, those are the words that they, they choose to describe themselves to people. You can see there is, there is so much hurt that's been piled on somebody like that, that. That's their reaction. And those are the words. If they're to describe who they are, their comment is, I'm garbage. I have no worth. And I was sharing with you guys, man, that's, that, that, is, that is not who we are supposed to be. That's something that the world put on top of us. and. and what I'm basing this entire message off of is this verse in in Luke 12. And if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. If you guys don't have Bibles, I'm going to encourage you guys. um, We're going to have Bibles. We didn't this week because we didn't get a chance to purchase them. We're going to have Bibles here for you guys if you guys want to grab some. Um, But I want to encourage you guys, if you have a Bible, bring it to church with you guys because it's cool to be able to open it up and just even see. Not that you have to be able to follow with me on everything because it's hard sometimes to know where, where passages are. But if you have it, it's cool to be able to look in it and even take a note because then, you know what it does is it encourages you to go back and look at your Bible again later on that week. And it's important to be looking at our Bible on a regular basis. But Luke twelve four through 7 is where I, where I got this, this verse for, from. And it says this, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. We talked about how this is a picture of God's care. If he cares about all these sparrows that he knows, he, says he, do, he doesn't miss when one of them drops out of the sky. And he says, don't worry, though, because you're worth far more than any of those sparrows are. Well, what's cool is, is if you read the, the Gospels, which is the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, when you see things overlap, you can always tell they're really important. Now, all the words in, in the Bible are important, but when you see things overlap, you can tell this must have really stood out because multiple witnesses said like, I remember hearing this. This was really important. And when I read through, I looked at these different these different books, and in Matthew, the same basic story is told. <clears throat> and in, in Matthew, it takes place in Matthew ten twenty eight through 31 It says, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid... You're worth more than many sparrows. Okay, haven't have you guys ever heard someone tell you a story and you're like, I don't know if I believe it? You guys ever had, to? come on, right? Someone's told you a story and you're like, eh. But then if someone else comes up and they weren't together and they tell you the same story, well, then it seems like it's a lot more credible, right? And it is. That's how they do stuff like that. If, if two people can testify to the same thing apart, it makes a story tremendously more strong and solid. Well, both these disciples both write about. Jesus saying these words. But did you catch an interesting difference between the two of them? Did anyone catch it? Oh, it's so small, but it's so cool. In Luke, he says, are not five, penny, five sparrows sold for two, for two pennies? And in Matt, he says, is not two sparrows sold for one penny? Well, that's interesting, right? What does that mean? It means that we have, a, we have officially found The oldest recorded, buy one, get one free. (laughs) Yes, because in Matt, he says two sparrows only cost one penny. But in Luke, he says you can get five for only two pennies. It's buy four, get one free. That's apparently how they sold sparrows back in the day. You can take that and take it and make it solid because it's in the Bible. So we know that if you buy four sparrows, you apparently get one for free. But you know what's interesting? If If you think about that, what kind of items are given that type of price break. Are expensive items and priceless items given that type of deal? No. The stuff where it's like buy four, get one free, that's like the stuff that you find at like Sam's Club, right? Like the 10-pound jar of mayonnaise that you can't fit in your cupboard, right? Like you get a discount for buying so many of them because they're so cheap. And you know what? What God is saying is that you don't belong in that classification, you as a person, you're not a buy one, get one free. You're worth far more than that. You're one of those things. I had, this, I had this friend, and he loved creating new terminology. Okay? So his new terminology is when stuff was really cool, Okay, he would call it behind the glass. And I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, dude, that, that shirt is behind the glass. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that means. And He's like, you know, man, when you go to a store, the cheap stuff, that's all out for everyone to touch. But the good stuff... It's behind the glass. And I'm like, oh, okay. So that was his terminology. If it's good, it's behind the glass. This is God saying, man, you you guys are behind the glass. You're not the type that people rummage through when you're not buy one, get one free. Man, you're worth something. You're behind the glass. You're protected. Last week we talked about the fact that we are worth his care. Um, But when we look kind of deeper into this, the thing I see that comes with it is that God's saying that we are worth his love as well. Um, in Luke twelve four through 7 it talks about these, these sparrows, right? And how he knows every sparrow that falls to the ground. So obviously he knows us, right? But it's not that just like he knows everything, so he needs to know us. Well, if he knows sparrows, of course he's going to know about us and he cares. But it goes into this really weird detail where it says, he knows the number of hairs that are on your head. Now that's a weird statement, Right? Why in the world do I care whether or not God knows how many hairs are on my head? I mean, some of you guys out here have obviously have a lot more. Some people probably have a few less. But what what does it make a difference if God knows how many hairs are on my head? What God's trying to say is that he knows so much. He knows the tiny little details about you. And he cares to know those things. We got moms in the audience. Moms, raise hands. There you go. You guys know stuff about your kids that no one cares, Right? You know small details about your kids that if you told people, they'd be like, that's terrific, but so, right? But moms, to you guys, that's cool to know. You know exactly what the weight that they were born at, the length that they were. You probably know about the, same, the time that they first said the first words, when they first stood up. You know about how tall they were. Some of you guys maybe even have that door, that door frame in your house where you marked how tall kids are, Right? to people who come in your house, they don't care. Why in the world do I care how tall your kid was at six years old? <laughs> Doesn't really do anything for me. But to somebody who loves somebody, man, that information is priceless. And that's what God's saying. He says, I love you so much. I know how many hairs are on your head. That's how much I care to know about you. Um, there's lots of verses, and, and, and a lot of pe- people would do this, and I, I try not to be this kind of speaker or pastor. And when they say, like, God is, God is love, what they'll do is they'll give you a passage. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Like they'd say that God loves his people. So I'm going to read you Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. And what it says in this is, uh, let me find it for you. It says, And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And people would say, like, obviously God's love. Look at there's a verse that backs it up. But just to hear words is really, really hollow, isn't it? Man, what would show us God's love is seeing a story that encapsulates that. So instead of just telling you, I know God's love because it says it here, what I want to do is I want to show you guys a story because only a few chapters before in Exodus 20, all the way back in the Old Testament, he gave the people the Ten Commandments. A lot of you guys maybe remember the Ten Commandments, at least maybe some of them. But um, in Exodus, it lists the first two says, um, and this is in the message, so it's very paraphrased, easy to understand. No other gods, only me, is the first, and the second says, no carved gods of any size, shape, or form of anything, whatever whether things that fly, walk, or swim, don't bow down to them and don't serve them because I am God, your God, and I'm a most jealous God. Now that's interesting. He puts a, second with, he puts a reason with that second commandment. He says, don't bow down to other things because I am a jealous God. Could you imagine the fact that the, the most powerful being in the universe calls himself jealous? Now that's interesting too, right? Jealous. You know, but when I looked at it, one of the things that came to my mind was, I remember talking to my mom one time, and she she was talking to her friends, and she said, you know, if I spend all day with my kids, guess what I want to do that evening? Spend time with my kids. She said, I don't get tired of them. I don't get sick of them. If I spent every minute of my day, I'd rather have them with me than not have them with me. And God refers to himself as this jealous God. Time and time again, in Deuteronomy, it says, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now, let me clarify. This is not scary ex-boyfriend jealous, okay? Not scary ex-boyfriend jealous like knocking on your door at three o'clock in the morning to see if you're home or following and stalking you. Not that kind of jealous. But what it is, is it's like loving husband jealous, okay? Um... If you're in a marriage relationship, to an extent, you're a jealous, jealous relationship because you don't want that person to share any romantic love, romantic feelings with anyone else but you. And to say, I guess, a good term for that was is you're jealous of their love. You want all of it for yourself because you love them that much. You don't want them sharing that with someone else. And that's what God's saying. He said, I'm a jealous God. I want all of your love. Man, I want to I know everything about you. I don't want you guarding areas of your life from me and, and keeping secrets from me. When we go to the New Testament, we see the exact same thing. Um, and I could give you a, a verse, again, um, that talks about Jesus' love, like uh, Ephesians 3. Um, in 16, it says this. I pray that... Out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And that's awesome. That's a great verse talking about the breadth and width of, of God's love. Very cool. But how I learn is through stories. It's great to read that verse, but what makes sense to me is when I see a story that pictures that. And and I see this because it says in the Bible, get this, that Jesus is the personification of every single one of God's characteristics. What it means is that you could literally just study Jesus and you could learn about God's entirety because it says that all of who God was was put into this one man, Jesus Christ, when he walked on this earth. There's a story in Luke but it's in Luke 7, that shows me this love that God has, this real and and intangible love. And um, it says this, Not long after that, Jesus went to the village Nain, and his disciples were with him, along with quite a large crowd. As they approached the village gate, they met a funeral procession. A woman's only son was being carried out for burial, and the mother was a widow. let's just stop there for a second. At this time in, in the world, Uh, If a mom was to lose a son, it's a devastating blow. Um, But at this time, it's even far more devastating. What it's saying when she's a widow and this is her only son is that basically her life is pretty much over. Um, At this time, women weren't able to provide for themselves the way that they are able to today. And if it wasn't for having a husband, when the husband would pass away, the sons would be in charge of taking care of their mother. And what it's saying is she's a widow and this is her last son. Meaning when he died, not only is it a tremendous emotional blow, but basically this woman doesn't know how she's going to live from now on. When she's walking out with her son to bury her son, she's pretty much just about burying herself too because she doesn't know how in the world she would probably provide for even food in the next days. That's what this, this story is saying. So jump back in it with me. It says, when Jesus saw her, his heart broke. And he said to her, don't cry. Then he went over and he touched the coffin and the pallbearer, pallbearer stopped. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead son sat up and began talking. And Jesus presented him to his mother. This is when God saw this woman's heart breaking in a time of emotional, um, and even just physical need, he couldn't just turn away and walk away. It says that his heart broke too. And that's that love. When you love somebody, if they're in pain, you can't be happy, can you? If you really love somebody and their heart is breaking, your heart's breaking right there with them. And it says that when he saw her, man, his heart broke. And he couldn't just say, well, too bad then and walk on. But he stopped and he did something because he could. He took and he raised this son back from the dead, which, of course, uh, is is astronomical and mind-blowing in itself to study the, the, the power of Jesus Christ and the scriptures and what happened. But he brings him back to life and gives him back to his mother. Man, that's a God that loves. But not only just the Jesus, and not only just the, the Old Testament, but really what does it mean like today? And when I look through God's Word, I see this, this picture that's repeated over and over and over again, and it's of God as our Father, as our Father. And, and I hesitate to even use that terminology because I bet you, in a crowd our size, the term Father could have a lot of different meanings in this room, couldn't it? There's a lot of people that father might be a really, really great word, and there's probably people in this room that father is a very, very ugly word, because of what their dad was. And I understand that because I've um, I was blessed with a good family. I've had plenty of friends who dad was never a good word to them. It was a bad word to them. And um, what I want to uh, what I want to say to you is, is, when I say the word father, I'm meaning someone who really cares. Because what that man uh, what that man might have done to you as a father obviously was not was not fathering. Um, but to, to state it in that opinion, because that's how God presents himself, himself to us as a father, it says that this, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. he says, I have plans for you. And he says, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. He's saying as a father, he says, I care about you, and I have good plans for you. Not bad plans, not ones to destroy you. And he says, that basically, that love is is so strong. He says, I want to be that good father for you. He says, you can trust me because I'm the one father that isn't going to fail you. In, In Matthew, there's this really cool verse. And it's Matthew 7, 7 through 11. It tells us this story, basically, about people and how we're supposed to talk to God. And in the message, it says, don't bargain with God. Be direct direct and ask for what you need. This isn't cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. He says, If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for a fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, basically talking to all of us as people, as bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think that God, who conceived you in love, will be even better? He says, "Listen. He says, even you guys. He says, if your kid asks for food, he says you don't take and and, and trick him instead and, and starve him. If he, if he asks for something like a fish, you don't just scare him and say, you know what, oh, too bad, and laugh in his face. He says, even you guys understand that. So how much more, as the God that really loves you, the God that created you, he says, how much more am I that that consistent, that loving Father? He says that you're worth, you're worth that love." And he thinks so much so that he's willing to prove it by giving you things, by taking care of you like we talked about last week. Um, What's interesting, though, is God doesn't have to do this. He doesn't have to do this. I mean, he's the God of the universe. Couldn't he just take and put us here on earth and say, too bad, deal with it yourself, and he'd still be God? Uh, Of course he would. But he doesn't have to do this, but he wants to. Whether we like it or not, he wants to. Um... It kind of reminded me of a, of, a, of a thought. It's like a daughter, okay? She's going to go out with her friends. And, of course, they have to go and get permission from their dad, so she goes and tells her dad, we're going out with friends and stuff. And, of course, wh- he's going to ask you, well, who are you going out with? Is that boy going to be there? You know, which girls are going to be there? And they want to know stuff like that. But what it's like is at the end of the conversation, of course, what always comes is, and... Could I maybe have some money, right? Could I maybe have some cash to be able to go out? And it's like a dad who says, Well, how much do you need? And daughter says, Well, you know what? We're going gonna go out to eat, gonna go to the movies. I think twenty dollars would probably cover it. Could I have twenty dollars? And it's like a dad then who takes and hands her thirty dollars and says, Have fun. He gives her more than she needs because he loves her. He doesn't have to give her any more but he does it just because he wants to dote on his daughter because he cares for her. And that's like this picture of this God. He doesn't have to love us like this. He's God. But it says that somehow we're worth that love that he wants to give it to us. The nuts part is, though, is that I don't see it. I don't understand how. Even though I'm telling you this whole message about the fact that we're worth God's love, I have a hard time believing it myself. I have a hard time really accepting it. Um, it says in, in John 3.16, which is probably one of the most classic verses that all of us have heard, um, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The, the way the scripture goes, if, if you ever read it and you take a look at how this whole world works, is that basically God's standard is perfection. And none of us can reach it. None of us can. He says that all of us have sinned and fallen short. But he said that he found this loophole, basically, in sending his son to come to earth, live a perfect life, die on a cross to pay for all of our sins. And he said, if you trust Jesus Christ with your soul, he says, when you die, you'll come to heaven and we'll spend eternity together. It's crazy. There's another verse in the Bible that says, while yet we were still his enemy, he took and sent. Jesus, to die for us, to pay for our sins. That's amazing. I can't imagine that I'm worth enough for somebody to trade, to trade their own son for. I can't imagine that my life is worth enough that my God would come to this earth and die for me. But Jesus did. He came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died on a cross to pay for our sin. And what's really awesome is there's this verse in John where Jesus explains why he did it all. I don't know if you guys have read this or not, but it's John 17, verse 24. And it's Jesus talking to his dad, to his father in prayer. And he says, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. He says, I do this because I love them and I want them to be with me. He he understood that when he died, he was going back up to heaven. That was where he belonged anyway. But he said, the reason why I'm doing this is his father is because I want them to be with me. That's why he came was because of that love that he came and sacrificed and died on the cross. But then after all of this, after Jesus coming, dying on the cross, paying for our sins, so many of us never ever accept it. Jesus says it's a free gift. All we have to do is accept that gift hold on to it, and, and, and ask for our forgiveness, believe in it, and begin to start working it out. Because really, when we first start, I don't know about you guys, but when I first started my faith walk, it was a mess. I didn't understand it. It was just basically faith. I said, you're right. This, I, I can't take care of this life on my own. I understand the fact that I, I do believe in God, and I believe that uh, there is such thing as sin, and I understand that I've, I've broken a lot of those things. So I do need somebody else to cover these. I didn't understand it all, but I started it. But so many of us never even take that first step. So many of us hear about the story of Jesus, hear about his, his sacrificial death on the cross, and then we just turn away and we walk away from it. We just kind of shrug it off. Or maybe some other people, they take hold of it, but then what they do is they make a mockery of it. They say they believe in Jesus Christ, but they never ever do anything that actually lives it out. You know, it almost reminds me of like when a dad comes up behind his son and he goes to put his hands on his shoulders to show him love and then the kid does one of these and steps out from underneath of it. You guys ever had that happen to you? I did it to my dad and my grandpa in the past too. They come up to get, put their hands on your shoulders to kind of show you love and you just take and kind of sneak away from it because you're like, you know what? I'm not, I don't like you right now. It's kind of the same thing we do with this gift. God says, that I provide a way that you can accept faith, and you can accept Jesus, and you can go to heaven, spend eternity with me. And a lot of times, we just kind of shrug out from underneath of it and say, you know what? Not me. Not me. And yet still he says, you're worth my love. God gave us a story, though, to better illustrate all this. Because once again, there's just verses and things like that. But when I can read a story, I can actually picture it. And I don't know um, where everyone's at this morning. I don't know what your mind is like. But Some of you guys, I know, you've maybe only heard half the words I've said so far. But what I want you guys to do is, no matter where you've been at for the rest of the service, if you've been a little tired, a little groggy, I want you to pay attention just for these next few minutes, okay? So I want to share a story with you guys um, that kind of changed my life. And it's in Luke 15, and it's a story of a son. I want to read it to you guys. Jesus is talking, and he says, There was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all this money, there was a bad famine all throughout the country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs and the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. And he said, All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son, but take me on as a hired hand. So he got right up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart was pounding. He ran out and embraced him and kissed him. The son started his speech, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to his servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time because my son is here, given up for dead and now now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. There's a story in in the Bible of this son. And it says that at one time he understood his dad and he understood the love, but he basically decided that he had a better plan for his life. And he walked away from him and he went on and did his thing for a time until he finally got to the end of that and realized that what he had made of his life was a mess. He didn't care for it. He was starving to death. And he went back assuming the fact that his dad would say, I told you so. I told you so, but I'll take you on it. I'll let you. I'll let you work for me. But instead, when he comes back, this father's response is to immediately not say, you can come back as my servant. He says, you come back as my son. And he says, get the family ring and put it on his finger because he belongs with us. He says, go get that robe and put it back on him. And he says, go slaughter that, that heifer, that cow we've been saving. He says, because we're going to feast tonight because now my son's come home. It's a cool story, but the reason why it's really cool is because it's a picture of God in us. That's why Jesus told it. He says, you guys are that prodigal son. He says, when you were born, you understood that there was a God that cared for you. But what happened is is you got so caught up with what this world had to offer that you ran away and you went and did your wild living. But he says, you're going to come to the place where you realize this isn't everything it's cracked up to be. This is not all that I wanted my life to be. And I know that if I go back to my father." My life can be whole again. But what's awesome is he says, I love you so much that when you come back, I don't rub it in your face. He says, when you come back, I give you a hug and I say, welcome back, son or daughter. I love you guys. He doesn't rub it in our face. Man, I remember the first time I actually thought about that story and it blew my mind. Because I did that exact same thing. I spent my years being stupid and doing what I wanted. And you know what? When I got to the end of it, even at a young age for me, um... It got me nowhere. I felt so empty. So empty, so cold, so unhappy, so hurtful. And I finally remember coming and, and hearing about someone talk about Jesus Christ and about real life. and remember giving my life to Christ and immediately experiencing something that changed everything. I finally felt love. I finally, I, I, I experienced love, and at the same time, I actually felt love for like the first time of other people. I didn't hate everybody anymore. God changed me from the inside out. And God says, you're worth that love. This morning, wherever you're at on that journey, if you're just starting, if you're just saying, God, let me go, or if you're coming back and you're saying, God, I I have to come back, he says, you're worth it. He says, you're worth my love, and I'm willing to take you back in. With human eyes, I'd say we're not worth it. With my own human eyes, I agree. Man, we're not worth it. But God disagrees. God disagrees. And if there's one thing I can teach you guys, how about this? When you argue with God, you always lose. You always lose. You might say, I'm not worth it. They're not worth it. But God says they are. And when you argue with God, you lose. God says that you're worth his love. I want to offer you guys, I don't know where you're all at this morning, um, but I always want to give you guys time. We, we rush in here, and I know everyone's got stuff to do. I got stuff to do. We all do. But life doesn't give us very many opportunities to stop for a second and think. And I want to give you guys opportunity this morning. Other people are going to get up and go grab food, whatever like that, and have to, have to head out. That's cool. But if you have a minute, just stop and think for a second and say, where am I really at this morning? Where am I really at? Because I'm going to be up here. Deb's going to be up here. If you need someone where you say, you know what, I need, I need prayer. I'm at a place where I realize I don't even know who Jesus is, and I need him. I'm that prodigal son that's been lost, and I need to come back. Or if you say, you know what? I've come back, but I am not feeling God's love. Man, I feel cold right now. I am not experiencing it. We want to pray for you guys, too, because this is a time when you can actually change something this morning. If you walk out, you know what's going to happen is you're going to get lost in the mess of the world, and it's going to be a week from now until you think about it again. But if this morning you say, you know what? Something registered. Come up and just have a quick chat and do something about it. I want to pray with you guys and then we'll end. God, I thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you God that you you show in your in your word that somehow we are worth your love. God, it's hard to understand, but I know it's true cuz I felt it myself. Jesus, I pray to you that you would you would work on hearts now that people who are 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 connecting with this idea of of the prodigal son and where they're at that they wouldn't just let it slide and walk out the door. But I pray to you that you would make um, just a burden on their heart. And, and you guys out there today, you know, the way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it is, if you feel like there's something that you almost feel like I'm talking about you, it, it connects. And if you almost feel, like, scared because you want to you wanna just get up and run, a lot of times that's because this is the morning for you. And God, I just pray to you that you would give them courage to come and, to come and talk and to just say what's going on right now, and and quickly pray. I thank you so much for this day, God. I pray to you protection and, um, and just peace over every single person here. It's in your name I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. One last thing. You're worth more than many sparrows.